You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Thanks for joining us on the Renewed You podcast. We're here to help you discover how mental, physical, and spiritual health combine to help you live your best life. We want to give you hope, tools, and encouragement because the world needs a renewed you. Now, here's your host, John Yule. Hey, good afternoon, everyone in podcast land. So glad that you are joining us today on the Renewed You podcast. I'm your host, John Yule, and I have my partner in crime, Jeremy Griffin, with me. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Jeremy. Partner in crime. That's not good for today's podcast guest. That's true. That's true. Let's change (laughs) it. He's my partner, my friend in in everything that we're doing in life. Partner in life. That sounded weird, too. I probably shouldn't say that either. Uh, yeah, we are definitely not no. life partners in yeah. any way. So not like that would mean. But anyway, Whatever. so glad that you guys are with us today. Today's we got a special guest with us, a, a longtime friend in my life, and uh, I'm excited for you to hear his story and um, get to know him. the The theme of today's podcast is how do we overcome things that seem to overcome us. And every one of us have seen things, experienced things, done things, had things happen to us that are overwhelming, that that we can't process, that we have trouble with. And if we don't learn how to handle them properly, those things can literally overcome us. Uh, They can lead us down the the drain hole of depression, um, a place that Many of you are familiar with. I know I'm personally familiar with it. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald said, never confuse a single defeat with final defeat. And sometimes we can face things that seem to defeat us. And if we allow them to win, if, if we give up trying, then we really have failed. But, you know, the wise guy Buddha said, each morning we're born again. What we do today is what matters most. Now, Buddha said that. Of course, I'm a Christ follower, and we we kind of take that idea this way. If you're breathing today, God chose to let you do that. Sometimes we fail to take into account the beauty of breathing. When you went to sleep last night, you had no control over whether you would wake up. But you woke up today, which means God's got a purpose for your life. So the stuff that happened yesterday, last week, don't let those things become weights in your backpack of life that weigh you down. You got to learn to overcome them. And that's kind of where we're going to go today. Do you know how badly I wanted to interrupt that monologue right now? Why? Just to interrupt it. Well, don't do that. <laughs> I was sitting there. Just I, gonna, was like, I was like, I was going to totally jump in. Not with any point at all. I was going to talk about like, I don't know, corn dogs. I don't, it didn't matter, but it was just like, yeah, anyway, go ahead. But man, I was like on a roll right there. I mean, <laughs> if you think so, that's fine. <laughs> Anyway, it is uh, great to have a friend of mine. Uh, I will tell you up front, if you are driving without a license, you should not do that. Um, I happen to have a friend of mine. You know mine. what? That has nothing to do with it our guest. You all. shouldn't drive without a license. You shouldn't drive without a license because my guest happens to be a police officer here in the state of Oklahoma. And um, he's a great friend um, that God has reconnected us recently with. And uh, I'm just glad to have Alan Wallace with us. Hello, police officer Alan Wallace. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Oh my gosh. I just This is the first time I heard it. I just want to say yes, officer Wallace. Exactly. That's how it's going to be the rest of this podcast. I mean, I mean I'm not going to be picky but it's really staff sergeant wallace oh my god there we go now i feel like i have to salute (laughs) uh staff sergeant wallace thanks for being on the podcast it means absolutely nothing (laughs) officer's fine (laughs) 
Well, I shall be referred to as Commander Griffin. Oh, because he plays paintball. Oh, well, that's that was, his fire. It was more of a Star Trek thing. Oh, it was but, a Star Trek. But yes, I do play paintball. For those of you that ha- we haven't talked about this yet, but maybe we we need to do a podcast one day. It's Jeremy and I talking about our life. But Jeremy is like addicted to Star Trek: The Next Generation. Right no, now. I'm just binging it. He's right okay. Now. That's addicted. No, um, it's just how. I'm, okay, go ahead. I um I kind of have a loop <laughs> of um, TNG, Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Voyager. Oh, dude. Always back to TNG. Always there. in between there. So, okay. So I was going to, I tried to do this. I looked up like, okay, I want to do the whole Star Trek world mm-hmm. chronologically. And it got very convoluted. Have you done that yet? I have not yet. Okay. Cause like it messed me up. Cause the episode I was on, like I'm in season six of seven with TNG okay. and uh, they went to deep space nine. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I out of sync now? Like I got to stop this right now and try, but I wasn't. So no. now they were just setting it up. Right. But if no, you, no, no, no. We need to at, talk more Star Trek. We, I agree. If you look at <laughs> if you look at the Star Trek, so I think it's quite interesting how that DS Nine was very light, bright because. How do you call DS Nine light and bright? I'm not. I'm he sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 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 You're talking about gra- like imagely. I'm, I'm talking or like uh, uh, Next Generation was right. very light, light colors, bright. Oh, gotcha. And then you get to DS Nine, and it was very dark. And dreary and lots of smoke and everything was really and it kind of like par- parallels culture at the time. Mm. The eighties were very, you know, we were all rich kids supposedly. Neon colors, <laughs> you know. And then you get into the nineties and everything starts going downhill Grunge. and it's been downhill forever. And so it's interesting how that they're the way they film parallels the view of the future based I, on that time period. DS Nine was the first one I was actually remember watching from the beginning. Really, wow. as a kid, I mean, I remember. TNG with my dad, but I don't remember it starting. Mm. But I remember it ending. It's like mash for me. I remember the last episode. But D Space Nine has always been my favorite Star Trek show. Yeah. And it's good. I think it's just because it's I remember it from start to finish. I don't talk about Enterprise because I don't like it. <laughs> you talking right. about the one with Bacula or whatever his name is, Scott? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah Quantum like Leap, bro. I didn't That's like exactly that. He was much was better in Quantum Leap, yeah. wasn't he? Oh, yeah. I always expected Sam to show up somewhere on the bridge. <laughs> I, right. I, I figured they'd work it in somewhere, like on a transporter move or Just something. Once. What? Or, or make some kind of a reference. Or know? call the computer Ziggy. Exactly. Or something. <laughs> exactly. It just has to happen, right? Well, here's the, here's the crazy thing for me. So I, I remember TNG like being on, but I never watched it. I never watched a single episode. And then like, I don't know, it's, I've only been benching for the last month, maybe. Month. <laughs> and so, but I am so sucked in. Like, I'm like, dude, this is really good. And, uh, I know that shouldn't be a shock, but I've always been a star Wars guy. So I just watched star Wars and, and I'm, I like star Trek so much better. And I hate to say that, but I mean, it is what it is, but I like it better because character development, the diversity of character is just yeah. wide. And, man, they've done a great job of stitching everything together. That's what really impressed me is bringing back the original series as much as they did in TNG and then um, how that continues into these other spinoffs. Yeah, yeah, I'm just real impressed. Yeah, with it. I like, I mean, everything since TNG, they connected, Yeah, you know, right into Deep Space Nine, right into Voyager, Voyager. who left from Deep Space Nine. Like, it wasn't until they got enterprise yeah that they they kind of jumped that so i mean i think enterprise was a great approach it was just a terrible show right what's crazy is you go back and watch um star trek the original and how how far advanced it was as far as things that they didn't have in the world at the time that we totally do now well so far i'm excited that they didn't and i will come back to that but when you said that i immediately thought of the 
you know, when they hit something, like something hits them and they all fling their bodies <laughs> like that didn't go away no. even in the next generation. And I think they could have done something different, but I'm glad they didn't like to see him. One, the one guy who moves in the wrong direction. Right. <laughs> they, all, they all, you know, lurch left and the other guy lurches forward. You're like, wait, no, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, you think they could afford just to record that again? Exactly. Like, uh, hey, John, uh, you did it wrong. I'm yeah, right. right. Uh, nobody saw I mean, it. when you think about the... But com- yeah, the tech. The communicators, which are cell phones, right. the little pad that they wrote on yeah. with the funky pen. Now we have those. Dude, they just did an episode where this, where Picard, I mean, they didn't just do it, obviously. <laughs> I just saw it. Where Picard's playing this flute and this this girl comes on the the a new commander or whatever and and they start you know being romantic and she's a musician and and she plays piano and and she's like we should do a duet oh yeah, yeah you remember yeah, that yeah, yeah. and she and she rolls mm-hmm. out the keyboard and i'm like yeah right. they, they totally have that exactly i mean it sucks to play on i mean <laughs> fyi <laughs> my apple phone is the same data pad they walk around exactly with like it's crazy. You isn't get it? the little FLIR uh, add-on, and it becomes a tricorder. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's crazy how much uh, life imitates what we see. Yeah, you know, and how much what we see affects our life. Um, and uh, I think for those of us that grew up like me, watching uh, TNG on Sunday nights with our youth group every Sunday night, we went over to this lady's house and just all sat on the floors and watched TNG. How much that really was a fabric. Um, to how we think and view the world and what we see and what we experience, man, that, that really does have an effect. It, um, it's what we modeled the mics in the podcast on. That's so we right. could do the war for us if we want. <laughs> that's right. Commander. <laughs> well, hey, let's jump into Alan's story. Alan, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where you're from. Start at the beginning, man. Talk um, about you. Well, I'm born and spent most of my childhood in uh, Misawa, Japan. Uh, on a military base up there. My, my, my father's retired air force, uh, came back to the States for a few years, jumped from Mississippi, Florida, Oklahoma, back to Japan, back to Oklahoma. Uh, and that's where my parents retired, uh, right here out of Tinker air force base. Uh, this is what I consider home. If I can have a home, <laughs> well, you can, but I mean, then this is it. Uh, went to uh, high school here, went to college here, went to the university of Oklahoma, uh, shortly Boomer after, sooner. yeah, yeah, I'm a fan because I paid him. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm still paying him for that my would gig. make me not a fan. I think. Uh. I mean, well, let me rephrase that. My parents paid him. I pay him. <laughs> my oh, money is go. going to the university. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, then, uh, man, it was early 2000 when uh, when I left school and uh, my future wife at the time left school. And I don't know if many people know, but the state of Oklahoma was not a good place to find a job at the time. There wasn't a lot of them. Uh, so we ended up in Florida where we both got jobs very quickly. Uh, I, I applied to, I, I left school. I had a ROTC. Now, now hold on, hold on. Let's talk about this for a minute. Let's dig into this. So you, you're in Oklahoma. Yep. You go from Oklahoma to Florida. Yep. That was an easy transition. Come was, on, man. It was very easy. You it's got Florida. red dirt and sand and surf. Man, I was 45 minutes from a beach in either direction. How often did you go? I'm not a beach guy, oh, but I went a lot. You went a lot. Because my wife was a beach person. Oh, the Florida beaches are amazing. Uh, on, on the on the West Coast. Not yeah, so much yeah, on the East not, Coast. yeah, totally. I love the Gulf side yes, much better much than better. I like it's the warmer. other side. It is. It's, you can see your feet. Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, what a beautiful place. I love so, it. it. So you go to Florida. Go to Florida. Uh, end up working in a city there uh, in Castleberry, Florida, which is just north of Orlando. 
Uh, it butts up to it. It's it's a small little city. It's about eight square miles, but it was fully packed. I think at the time I was there, there was somewhere around thirty thousand people in the in the eight square miles. Uh, loved it. Uh, got hired. Went through the police academy down there. Graduated. Uh, went through FTO. Fell in love with it. Um, the first two years, man, it was go go go. We worked twelve hour shifts. So got there at six. Next thing you knew, it was six, and it's time to go home. Yeah. Uh, did that for a while. And when we start talking about having kids, it was like, well, our families are all back in Oklahoma. Maybe we should start thinking about that. And we did. We decided to come back. My wife came back early. She was a teacher. Uh, she came back in August. I started to apply to some departments. Uh, ironically, got hired by my hometown. And then uh, I came back about three months after she did and then started my career here. It's been 17 years total, two years down there and about 15 here. And I love it. I couldn't do anything else. And okay. So when you were on the force here, I know at one time you were working nights. Yep. Cause I did a ride along with you. I mm-hmm. still remember I that. I love ride alongs. Dude, it was a blast you because come. come hang out. I'll do it. Yeah. Dude, Don't be careful. Kid. Cause I was already going to ask yeah. today if come I could do out. another one. Come hang out. Um, but I remember we stopped. There was this. Am it, I allowed to, to carry when I'm on a ride along? Not mm. by policy. <laughs> so j- just say no and wink. Nobody can see. <laughs> not by policy. Not by policy. He has to say that. Not that chief will hear this, but <laughs> right. just in case. You never know. But uh, uh, we were doing this ride along, and there was this, in this city that, that we're in, there was this Christian college that was notorious for having wild children. I remember this story. <laughs> and, uh, and Mr. Officer Wallace pulled up behind them, and there were, I mean, it was a small car, and it was yeah. crammed. With students and anyway, he, he dealt with them, but I was like, man, I remember doing that in college. And what if a cop had stopped us? <laughs> We'd all like freaked out, you know, think we're going to jail or something, but, uh, uh, ride alongs are very interesting. They are, they are fun. Uh, they're fun for, I mean, officers try, if we know the person they're fun, let me say that. Yeah. Cause you can get some really bad ride alongs. Um, cause you were, you were upset that we didn't get a speed or something that we could like really go for. I don't think we, we didn't, we didn't go to County either that night. I always try to take my ride alongs to Joe. So, oh, so you're being nice to me. I mean, not you personally, but take you down with somebody who's going to stay. Not you. Ah, there we go. <laughs> I like to arrest my ride alongs <laughs> exactly. and charge them with a misdemeanor. <laughs> I want to show you what it's really like. I'm like, really hey, like. it's a crime to carry a gun here. Hold this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you did, you did the night shift I did. for a while. How um, many years did you do that? Oh, shoot. Um, I think three years once I got here. Uh, loved it. I'm a night owl. I prefer to be up during yeah. the night. And then I end up getting into a SRO position. So a school resource officer position, mm. which I loved, except I had to be up. At so 5:30. for those that are listening that don't understand police code, uh, what is a SRO? What do they do? So an SRO is assigned to a school. Uh, I happen to be assigned to a high school in the city and that's my duty station. I'm there Monday through Friday. If the kids are in school, we're there. There was two of us assigned to this high school and you're there more as a deterrent. Our cars are parked out front. People know that there's at least two people in there that are going to approach and or stop you if you try something. So we also handle all calls that happen on the campus uh, or around the campus if we can get off of it, uh, which means any kind of little things like truancy or tobacco or or whatever. But everything that happens on the campus, that's our jurisdiction. And we're there for that. We assist in any way we can. I'm not there to enforce school rules. I'm just not. I don't care if you have an ID on, really, other than it's a safety issue. Uh, but we are just there for 
criminal issues that take place. But the most important role of an SRO man is they're there for the deterrent. Somebody knows that there's two police cars out in front of it. There's at least two people that are going to meet them no matter what they do coming yeah. in that door. Now, that doesn't mean you sit in your car all day. You no. are actually inside the We building. are inside. We have an office. Yeah. Uh, the office is now, they, they finally moved it. It used to be in the back of the school. They're like, we don't like you go to the back. <laughs> uh, but now it's right up front, tinted windows. Like yeah. you can't see where they are. They can see everybody that comes in and out of that building. So it is, it's really good now. As uh, a parent, that makes me feel much better. Yeah. About dropping my kids Absolutely. off. Absolutely. And, and my son actually is in route to go to that school. He's a seventh grader, but he'll be up there eventually. And it's just, I know a lot of people are like, cops don't belong in schools, but mm. really if they're there and, and they have the right way, they're great. Uh, not that it's going to stop somebody who's determined, but maybe it'll probably, I'll guarantee he'll put a stop to it quicker. Well, I think too. So I've got a 10 year old in school and he loves the SRO at his school. Yeah. Like, because he's, he's active with him. And, um, like if he gets in trouble, a lot of times they'll pull him in because he's got a good rapport. And yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing that, that is not understood. You know, I remember back as you're talking, I'm, I'm literally thinking of Mr. Rogers and like, he'd have a cop come on the show or something. And this is officer, whoever. Well, what we've, we've lost a lot of that. And so having an officer in the school who can portray that I think not just a deterrent in what you're saying, but I think it builds community relationship oh, back up. You know? um, it also, what I like, I mean, I was a seven years, I was an SRO mm. uh, in the same school. So I watched multiple classes come through and graduate uh, thousands of kids yeah. by the time it was done. And uh, they, they still recognize me out on the street. They're, some of them are, have their own kids. They're in their mid twenties now. And they're like, hey, weren't you at the, at the high school? Hmm. I was like, yeah, why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just, it, it's, it's great. It, my biggest goal when I was there was just to let them see that we are humans, mm-hmm. uh, that we have feelings, we have emotions. Yeah, I wear a uniform, but that uniform is just a shell of the human being I am. Right. And it's not the core. My human isn't wrapped around my badge. My badge is wrapped around me. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's great. Uh, there were some kids that they hate cops. They still hate cops, but they, they still come talk to me. Yeah. Which is great. It, it's helped. You know, I've, I've run into some of them that other cops are having issues with and I'm able to, you know, squash the fire, put it out, maybe not resolve it. You know, maybe they still have to go to jail because of the crime they committed, but at least it doesn't turn violent. You yeah. know, we can reduce that use of force. And the SROs that are out there now, they're doing the same thing. And they'll see when they get out, they're going to come across them middle of the night, wherever they are, mm-hmm. running down the street. There's another officer that looks like me that works in my city, and people yell at him every time they drive by. They yell, Wallace. <laughs> he turns around and says, I'm not Wallace. So, and then my phone rings. He's like, It happened again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that I was involved in a school for about five years and um, teaching history and stuff. And it was amazing how much I would encounter kids who had a, a specific bent towards history that when you push them with some questions, you could tell really they're parroting their parents. Mm-hmm stuff that they've heard, they really don't know why they feel this way or have a view of history this way. Do you feel that with people's attitude, students' attitudes towards police officers? Um, Do you think some of it's ingrained from what they're hearing at home and not so much from personal experience? I think everything a kid mirrors a little bit from home. I mean, that's who they see. That's who, I mean, I did as a, as a child. I still mirror my parents in a lot of ways, not because more now because I believe that way than right. I'm just mirroring what my parents 
taught me. Right. Uh, but I got, I mean, we got to get in the classroom also, you know, the government teachers there used us when they taught the constitute, when they taught the mm-hmm. constitution, they called us and brought us in. Awesome. We could have that conversation with the kids. And I loved it because the first time you were in there, they were very standoffish or like, I want to ask about marijuana, but there's a cop in my classroom, <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know? So I always broke that, that topic off right away. I'd be like, Hey, I think marijuana should be legal. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't have a problem with it. We just have to treat it like we treat alcohol. Right. right. And they're like, you can't say that. Well, I can. <laughs> right yeah. now it's not legal. So <laughs> if you have it, I'm taking you to jail for it. Right. But I think it should be. Um, and once you break that and you break that barrier or that stigma that's between you and them, they realize, oh, okay, he's going to have this conversation with me. Uh, it disappears and they get to have that, that hey, okay, this officer, yeah, he sees this, this is how he believes, but he also has a job to do. Mm-hmm. And that that just opens up a world of discussions you can have with them. Right. And they have it. And that's just the amazing thing to hear them ask those questions. And then they don't agree with your answer, but they understand it. At least they right? understand it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's my biggest issue with society in general is that we don't have to like the answer. Right. We just have to understand that I'm allowed to have that opinion. Right. So that conversation opened up a world of thing. And I see those kids now, they're like, Hey, officer Wallace, I don't, I don't like this, but, but I understand why you have to do it. Well, yeah, that's all I ask. Right. right? That that's, that's the problem we're struggling with now as a, oh, as dude. a society is great. You don't have to agree with me. Just understand that I have the right to have this opinion as you have your right. And that's right. The, the, and that's, you know, I'm a pretty staunch li- libertarian here. So me and so. him are really going to get along. <laughs> I am too. But here, you know, when you look at stuff like that, that's the thing that frustrates me more than anything is, is we've moved as a society to, you have to agree with me, not right. understand me. You have right. to agree with me or you're basically pure evil. And it's just so extreme. And, and, you know, I look at, uh, and I, this is not the kind of show we're on, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. <clears throat> um, so, you know, the the Capitol stuff that happened in January 6th, yeah. um, you know, one of the shows I'm on is a lot more political. And and we were talking about it. And I said, look, you know, the bottom line is um, the the counterpoint was those folks should have known these repercussions should have ha- or could have happened. And while I don't disagree with the overall sentiment, I said, well, how would a 20 something expect the repercussions they got at the Capitol when they watched all summer long riots and support of those riots from the same elected officials that they were dealing with in, in, uh, at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those kids absolutely thought people like Matt Wirtz and people like Ted Cruz would come to their aid and, and say, Hey, this, but they were wrong. <laughs> but my point is, is that when you when you put a society in a place where they have zero recourse, you know, the courts won't even hear some of those cases and and you're like, well, what do we do now? What's left? You know, and and so the polarization that has been built, you know, of course, me, I just don't think there's coming back from it. But mm-hmm. um, it's like when even when I got pulled over the other day, you know, with police officers, I, I well, even forget Speaking that. Of yeah. Those guys. No, it's kind of funny. Like even before this, so I pulled up to an intersection. The lights, you know, we were both at red light, and there was a uh, police officer to my left. I rolled my window down. I thought, man, what's he thinking? It's going to happen. But yeah, I just said, hey, man, I know it sucks to be a cop right now. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Because <laughs> I mean, dude, even in Oklahoma, I mean, like it, it there has residual, yeah. especially. This was an Oklahoma City police officer, and he was in downtown, which I would think is probably going to be more bent the anti-police direction. I don't know if that's true, but, um, 
But even when I got the ticket, you know, I, I waited till I was all done. I didn't want him to think I was trying to get out of a ticket, right? So after I got everything done, he was walking away, and I stopped him and just said, "Hey, man, thank you so much for what you're doing." And and mostly because I knew he was a a school police officer, and I have I, I just really appreciate what I've seen out of those guys. So. Well, I as much as I love what you're saying about school police officers, are you still an SRO? I'm not. Yeah. So, so I don't know. It's been three maybe four years uh it was time to go back and realize why i wanted to be a cop so i left bust bad dudes eh, maybe um <laughs> i just i couldn't be a fireman let's be honest uh, come on how often does the cops tv show theme ring in your head oh i Never. hate that show <laughs> i love the song i hate the show right. uh it's like it'd be like a chef going home and watching cooking exactly. shows all day. <laughs> exactly speaking of real quick i wanted to ask you this it's comp- completely off topic i love the show the rookie have you watched this nope. i would love for you to watch it no. and just no. tell me no. is it anywhere close no, to me because uh, the problem is he gets on the radio show. and he's like hey ziggy no <laughs> wrong dude i know my my wife keeps me from watching cop shows because uh, i'm like that's not that's not real happens. yeah that was that be was like actually, oh oh really you're gonna solve the case in 35 minutes yeah right. exactly yeah way yeah. to go well, and, anyway, and I know that's the guy from Firefly. No? No, oh. Exactly, yeah, he's from Castle. I was actually just, well, well, Firefly first. I mean, let's be show. Castle let's be real. ran a whole lot longer <clears throat> than Firefly. Uh, that is an unfortunate fact. I am watching Firefly. It's no it's reflection. Back. What is Firefly? Firefly? They are. They're making a remake. Yeah, I'm excited. Joss is in it. I mean, he's like running. Yes. It, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> getting back to your story, dude. We're so hanging dude. out. <laughs> <laughs> getting back to your story, um, I want to start. I want to kind of zero in a little sure. bit was there something that transpired beyond just the what you're going to do what you're going to do that made you kind of rethink um you know a shift no 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 i um i loved being an sro uh, i just decided i mean it was just time to go back it's time to go back it was time i mean i had seven years in the same office yeah working with the same people not that i don't love those people i still do like during those seven years, I started teaching. Uh, I'm a drummer. I drum through high school and college. Um, I started teaching with the band in their percussion section. I still do that to this day, uh, you know, 11 years later. Uh, so, like, I love that school. So, do you go into the room and everything and teach, or do you do something else? Like, do you go into the band room and teach oh, that? absolutely. Or? Well, we, like... So during the fall, we do the outdoor marching program, football game, GA band. And then <laughs> during the winter, we do an indoor program. So it's a, it's done in the gym. It's just percussionist. It's front ensemble. So marimbas, vibraphones, oh, yeah. all that, uh, keyboard synths, patches, loudspeakers, and a battery on a floor. And you march a show when we don't have to deal with the wind players and we don't like them anyways. <laughs> um, Dude. Sorry yeah. for all you wind no players spit out there. No, this the is air. great. I had this whole like metaphor about uh, the different, because working with the Philharmonic, I would talk about, well, okay, the brass section, they're going to go listen to big band and jazz after the gig and go get drunk on beer. And the, the strings, they're going to go home and have a brandy before they retire <laughs> for the evening. And then I said, the percussionist, man, they look at everybody else with disdain and hate, and and they go, "Why do you have to be part of what I'm doing?" <laughs> There's a reason they put drummers in the back. That's right. So, and that's the inferiority complex that comes from it. Ah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't help. I'm five foot six. So. <laughs> Little man syndrome comes out all the time too. Uh, but yeah, it, it was time to go back and be a cop. Uh, so that's that's what I did, and it's great. It, it's been good. I'm back on night shift by choice. 
Uh, I'm the senior guy on my shift. I love it. Um, there's all these young guys coming in that whether I want to or not, I, I, I sometimes end up mentoring and, mm-hmm. and at least holding their hand a little bit as they learn. And sometimes they're gung ho. They, they hold my hand because I'm like, I'm old. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so it's been really good. Uh, I work for some really good guys now. Actually, two of my best friends are, are my lieutenants and we get to run around and play and they get to yell at me because now I'm their employee and and they enjoy it and I enjoy it because I talk back to my boss and not get in too much trouble. <laughs> so life's good. So that's awesome. Well, one more question before I ask uh, the, the big launch question for this podcast. Um, what do you think? I know we talked about it from a, a, a student standpoint, but I personally am am bothered by the um, um, attitude of culture right now towards our guys in blue. Um, How has that, have you noticed a change in Oklahoma or I've noticed a change nationwide in, uh, I was taught as a young rookie in Florida that everything that has to do with law enforcement is, is a, pendulum Mm -hmm. it's going to swing one way and it's going to swing back the other way i've gone from let's chase everybody until the wheels fall off to let's chase nobody to let's let's chase people again uh so is there issues absolutely we can have those discussions but what i don't like is that we take one video that may be 30 seconds long and we hang people on it either way right um and, and I don't like that because there's so much that goes into a decision to use lethal force or not use lethal, fo- lethal force. And it's not something we have minutes or even sometimes seconds to decide. Uh, are there bad shoots? They're absolutely bad shoots. Should officers pay when there's bad shoots? Yeah. But let's let the courts decide that. Right. Let's let them decide before we go and hang them. And so many people are scared, especially after this summer. So many people are just scared of not firing the officers now. Right. Instead of, whoa, 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 so let's slow it down. Let's let's the court run their case. And then whatever comes of it, comes of it. Uh, I'll tell you this. The, the person who hates a bad cop the most is a cop. Yeah. Because everything they right. do affects me. Whether it happens in New York, California, Florida, wherever it happens, it affects me. Because... That's going to be like, oh, well, there go the cops again. Mm-hmm. So, look, my, my goal in life when I pull somebody over is to get a thank you, even if I write them a ticket. Uh, I sure. treat people like I want to be treated, um, but I also provide appropriate customer service. So if somebody's going to force me to use force, force me to put hands on, I'm going to do it because it keeps me safe. It keeps my community safe. It keeps my my partner safe. Um and my goal every night is to go home with the same amount of holes that I came to work with. Right. And that everybody on my shift does the same. Let me know if you ever come home with less. That would be weird. That would be weird. <laughs> That'd be totally <laughs> odd. My wife would be happy. With my mouth. <laughs> uh, so is there is there room for conversation? Absolutely. Let's have the conversation. Let's start there. Mm. Then if you're not happy with the answers you get, then maybe we go somewhere else. I'll be more than happy to stand as somebody for a protest, like and protect right. their right to right. do that. Yeah, sure. Uh, as an American, as a U.S. citizen, that's an important right to me. I, I should be able to express right. and protest my government. And I understand when I'm in uniform, I'm the man. Mm-hmm. I'm the government. I'm acting sure. as the state. Uh, but you just have to just balance that. And 
I'm cool with protest. I'm not cool with destruction of property and violence uh, for no reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's a place and time for that. I won't say no because we're a country that was founded on that. Right. You know, we rebelled against our rulers and used force to do it. But I don't know that. I think we get there a little too quick right now. Yeah. Uh, let's have the conversation. Let's understand that the courts work their way and you don't have to like their answer. But we have to accept that if somebody's found guilty or innocent, no matter what we believe, that the courts have ruled they were judged by a jury of their peers and found that way. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a process through that. Yeah. Right. And you just have to let it run its course. And I'm under the opinion that I'd rather 50 guilty people go free than one innocent person serve a day in jail. Right. Agreed. So I would rather lean toward that side anyways than, than anything else. And, you know... you. I don't even think you need to talk about the race side of it. Like mm-hmm. I'm somebody who experienced multiple races in my life. Like I've been the minority in, in environments, you know, growing up in another country. Right. Not that I know what that feels like. I know what my experience is. Yep. I don't know what anybody else's is. And I that's like, true of everybody. Yeah. And, and I Nobody. love, <laughs> I love to hear that conversation. Like if you want to talk to me about the, my experience and I can hear about your experience, I love that conversation because then we're relating to each other. We can understand it. Again, we don't have to agree. Like, I still love you. Like, my wife and I disagree on a lot of things. I still love her, you know? Uh, my dad leans so far right that he's almost left, right? right. And, and I'm not. I, I'm very, very conservative physically, but very liberal socially. And we disagree on a lot of things, but at the end of the day, he knows that, hey, you're not going to change my mind, right? right? So we just have to have the discussion, and I like to debate. My wife says I like to fight, but I just like to debate. Um, let's just have it. Let's have the conversation so we understand each other. And that that's the first step. And I think we skip that. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're in a culture that doesn't want to have a conversation. Yeah. We're addicted to being right. And if uh, you're not going to agree with us, then you're wrong and we're going to th- shut you down. I think we're we're just scared to have our feelings hurt. Right. But that's my point. Exactly. Yeah. soft, man. <laughs> you know, Come you on. can't be wrong. In, in our culture right now. It, yeah. It's because our identity is wrapped up in what we think and believe. And we say, okay, well, if somebody unravels what I believe, then it unravels me. Right. Because we have a totally misplaced identity in our value system. Look, yeah, we're, we're a country on, and we're a country founded on a great document that grows with us. Mm-hmm. And I love that. But the core values of it have always been the same. Yeah. It's sad when the, when the people, this is how I viewed it and taught it still view it to this day um it's sad when the um the the citizens of a country regress while the document advances yeah and that's really what we've done is we have regressed as a as a society um instead of i mean that document was founded with a group of people coming together for the common good yeah and now we've divided into segments of our society that are out to just protect protect themselves um i think in regards to the whole police officer and community's view of police officers, I personally think a lot of it comes from a misunderstanding of what police officers experience. I think that there are some, some of us, we think that all the police officers do is ride around in their cars all day or, or whatever and um, write tickets and yeah. that they get, they look for opportunities. There are these violent people who, who are looking for opportunities, but yet we don't ever stop and think about, the stuff that they experience that we never see. Well, I, I don't know of an officer that comes to work thinking I want to shoot somebody today. Um, 
it's just not something we want to do. It's look, that's not fun for anybody. Uh, I know officers who've had to shoot people and it's traumatic. Nobody wants to take another person's life. Uh, no sane person wants to take another person's right, li- life. Right. Uh, but it's, I don't know. It's just to think, to have the opinion that, oh my gosh, these cops are just running around shooting people. Like for me, that doesn't make me angry, but I'm like, no, um, I don't know of any. I've worked in right. two departments, two state, hundreds of officers, multiple friends from high school that are cops who work in different departments. And not a one of them have ever said, I'm going to go to work tonight and shoot somebody. Uh, so, but surely you've seen things in the line of duty. Maybe it wasn't you <clears throat> pulling the trigger or something, but surely you've seen things in the line of duty that was hard to process. Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, we live in Oklahoma. <laughs> um, I mean, I, from day one as an officer, uh, you know, the great thing about being 2021 is that law enforcement is changing. Uh, it's no longer suck it up and move on to the next call. It's, Hey man, how are you doing? Mm. And that simple question has changed law enforcement. Uh, we're, we worried about mental health. We're teaching officers how to handle that mental health, not only themselves, but for their partner. Um, so PTSD is a real thing. Um, I've experienced it. It doesn't end a career. Um, you can recover from it. I'm proof of that, but we're teaching officers that maybe you don't have one event, but over a career you have multiple events Yeah, and those multiple events will add up and add up and add up until you have an issue. And if you don't deal with the issue, uh, you're going to put things on the shelf until the shelf falls over on you. And then you're laying underneath all these memories and these traumatic incidents that now you can't deal with because there's multiple of them at the same time. You know, for me, it was, you know, finding, finding a child, uh, telling somebody that a family member died. Cause that's one of our responsibilities when something happens and another department calls us or happens within our city. Uh, it's, it's rough. It adds up. And then you take Oklahoma and the natural disasters. Uh, you respond to those. Uh, you know, I spent, I spent a good chunk of the day of the May 20th, 20th tonight here in Oklahoma uh, at an elementary school digging for children. Mm. So for those of you that don't know, that was May 20th, what year? 13. 2013. We had a horrific tornado that came through the southern part of the Oklahoma City metro area that impacted several schools yeah. Yeah. in South Oklahoma City. Um, and I described that area as the tornado alley of tornado alley. Oh, this is oh, correct. Dude, it, it was, yeah. I remember because we turned the church that we are now at, um, we turned that into a, a place where we fed thousands and thousands of people out of that parking lot. Um, and I remember uh, one of those additions just south of our property there. I remember the flag hanging from the tree, yeah. the American flag in that addition. But you were actually out of school. I was, yes. Um, it's kind of a crazy day. Um, I was married 16 days before the tornado. Wow. Uh, got married to my wife who really had no experience with, um, law enforcement other than she knew cops were cops. Um, she'd done a couple of ride-alongs in high school. She thought about becoming a cop and then decided not to. And so we'd been married about 16 days, got married on May 4th. Yeah, May the fourth. May be with the fourth, baby. <laughs> That's kind of done on purpose uh-huh. for me. I'll never forget it. Uh, and then you know the tornado happens, and 
last picture she got from me was out the back of the high school I was at with this huge mile wild tornado coming at him. And then I didn't talk to her again until I don't know, it was 10 or 11 at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, my phone went dead. Like I couldn't get anything out. At but some see right point. there. That's something that most people don't think about. We yeah. don't think about the family of police officers and the strength that they've got to have for the stuff they're going through that. So she didn't even know if no, you had made it nobody, through the tornado. And by this did. time she was probably seeing the news reports and the, I mean of that, I remember that. Yeah, it was, it, it was kind of ironic how they, how my, my parents who live in the Metro and my sister and my brother, they all found out from family in New York. Wow. Um, because they had seen me on, on the news footage. Mm. So they knew I was okay, but nobody knew where I was. Dude, he's famous. I'm not famous. <laughs> um, but so they, that gets out. So she knows I'm okay, but nobody can get a hold of me. Um, I leave the school. The tornado passes about half a mile, quarter mile north of us. Uh, I leave the school. Uh, I'm headed just, I'm just looking, Hey, where do I go? You know, this, this thing is still on the ground mm-hmm. only a quarter mile away at this point. And, I'm, I'm really selfish and I'm heading towards my brother's house who lives about 300 yards north of this school I come across. Um, so I, I, that's where I'm headed until I hit, I, I see what has happened and, uh, I take off toward it and, um, I'm one of the first ones there. Uh, I climb over this building. Uh, there's some kids in a, in a, in a bathroom with a whole bunch of teachers and I, uh, I step down and, and tell them, Hey, we're going to get you out of here. Don't worry about it we get through the whole thing. We get, there's probably 20, 30 kids in this bathroom and we lift them up. People are coming. I mean, if you don't know what the Oklahoma standard is, it's that when something happens, Oklahoma shows Shows up up. and we show up in force and we'll do whatever you ask us to do. Even if you don't ask us. Yeah. Um, there's all these people showing up. We, we form a human chain and we start throwing kids basically out and over this rubble. Uh, we get to the last teacher and, uh, I look at her and I say, is there anybody else? And she kind of motions to this rubble I'm now standing on. Yeah. And uh, we, we come to find out that there's multiple children and teachers buried under this rubble. Um, by this time, the cavalry is showing up. Um, you know, a, a lot of people joke and our cops joke is the best sound in the world is, is a wheel screaming to a halt and a car door slamming because that means your help is there. Um, we start digging. We, we, uh, Unfortunately, we start finding bodies. Uh, we pull multiple, multiple children, teachers out. And uh, it, it was a terrible day. And to hear myself talk about it now, is just makes me, it sounds terrible, but it makes me happy to be able to deal with it without breaking down or without having the complete anxiety that I used to have with it. Cause I used to not be able to talk about it. So it really did affect you. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't day two. It wasn't May 14th. You know, it wasn't May 13, 2014 or 15, you know, it was, it was 2016 and on Yeah, where I realized there was a problem. Um, you know, at some point I I get away from the school and I, I walk to my brother's house. Uh, it's destroyed. I mean, there's nothing there. Uh, so I get there and they're still there. Mm. So I'm able to, uh, well, let me go back a second. So my nephew goes to the school I'm now digging for children at, mm. right? Um, I don't know where he's at. So I now know I get to my brother's house. They're all okay. They have a newborn baby. Uh, they have this a fourth grader, my nephew. Um, they're all there. Great. They've talked to my mom and dad. Awesome. Uh, 
I was like, do you need a ride out of here? Uh, so they, they're working on it. My parents are coming to get them. They have a place to go. Um, Hey, I love you, brother. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> go back to work. End up working that night till two or three in the morning until they told us to go home. Cause the day shift has to be back at seven. And then we, we worked 12 hour shifts for the next month, mm-hmm. uh, busting our butts, taking care of things. Uh, the next day I spend with the urban search and rescue out of Texas, uh, going door to door, searching all these houses. Uh, thankfully we didn't find anybody. We just found a lot of debris and a lot of natural gas pipes still running. Right. Um, but it was, you know, that's, that's tedious. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're prepared to find a dead body and I've seen plenty of them in my life and they never get easier. Uh, so we did that, went through. And for life. people that are listening who, when they think of finding a dead body, I know you've talked to me two conversations I remember that just totally shattered what I thought a scene of a dead body looks like based on what we see on TV. And it's not like that. Uh, no, most of them are. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that we don't think about. Correct. Again, it's those things that we don't think about what, what you guys experience and you have to walk into. We never have to walk into it. And well, that stuff's got to load up on you. It does. It does. And, I mean, just in my short time, I say short time, 17 years, but it feels like a short time. And in the course of law enforcement, it is a short time. Uh, We've gone from, hey, man, you just got to suck it up and go back to work. Mm -hmm. Right. Deal with it. If you can't deal with it, find another career to making sure we're getting the mental health we need uh, to teaching this in the academy. Mm. So Uh, before you got get to teaching, though, I mean, I know I'm jumping back and forth, but um, I mean, I, I know how the, the tornado impacted me and I didn't have to do what you're doing. And you said that it was years later when it was you years. realized. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I was a newlywed, so life was good. Uh, it always is. Yeah. My wife and I, uh, she has two kids and I have one, uh, both from previous marriages. Uh, love all three of them. Now she's 18. I'm not sure I still love her at the moment, but <laughs> uh, we, we had three small children. Uh, the youngest, I think at the time was five and the oldest was like 13 14 mm. uh no it can't be that gotta be way younger than that. yeah gotta yeah. be like 11 <laughs> i can't do math <laughs> um so life is good we, we work straight for a month uh my first day off so i got a day off two weeks after which was may 30th mm-hmm. anybody remember what happened may yeah. 30th yeah. was may 13th part two mm-hmm. right um not at our city but I'm a huge hockey fan, so I was downtown at the Barons game. Mm. So for those like, who don't know, we had another yes tornado, but a huge outbreak huge this outbreak. time, like hundreds of tornadoes, not big ones, right. but ones. hundreds of them. Um, that was my first night off. We go down to a hockey game because my wife is like, "You're getting out of the house. You're not. You're not taking a gun. You're not taking anything. You're going and you're going to enjoy this hockey game." Well, the world's largest tornado is headed toward downtown Oklahoma City, where we're at, from El Reno. Right. Well, they shut everything down. We're down in the basement trying not to get hit by this tornado. And everything, go back to work the next day, you know. Hey, I can do this. Whatever. It's not going to affect me. Go on our honeymoon. About a month later, we get it to go. We go to Florida. Go figure. <laughs> um, go and join Disneyland with my wife, two adults, hanging out at Disney Disney World. My bad. And uh, love life. Come back. Things just keep going. Except I haven't dealt with that huge crisis that I did. Yeah. And it hasn't even hit me yet. Everything's fine. Uh, Active in church, playing in a worship band, uh, loving life. And then slowly I start the questioning of why. Uh, 
things went on. So one of the kids that, that I pulled out, I'm, we just happened to be go to church with the same family. We didn't know that hmm. we had no clue. Um, we do find that out later that I actually taught her or his sister in the band I was teaching at, at the high mm-hmm. school I worked at. And one day the way I found out, she came in, she goes, I know you. It's like, okay, how? Yeah. I work here. Yeah. Good to meet you. She's like, no, you pulled my brother out of that school. I was oh, like, wow. uh, okay. Uh, met the family, love the family. Like we'd go to their house, we'd hang out with them. Uh, Xavier's a great kid. I loved him. And then two years later, I get a phone call. Why I'm at Disney world with the band in the middle of the night of this young lady screaming, um, Xavier hung himself. Uh, and I'm 1300 miles away. She, she's every right to, she's demanding that I come. And I'm like, I can't like, I gotta stay. I'm a, like, I'm with this band. Like she understands, but she, she's not thinking. And man, that broke me. That was just another thing uh, of everything else that had happened tied to that experience, one experience. And again, I just, I brushed over it. I'm like, I can do this. I don't need help. I'm okay. My wife saw it before me. She said it was about there that the turn starts. Uh, I start questioning. I start, I never, I won't say I ever turned my back on God, but I stood in his face and I questioned him. Uh, never denied he exists. Always knew I was going to stand in front of him and be judged. I just didn't think he was the Abba father I'd been taught about. Mm. You know, uh, if he cared about me like I care about my son, I would do anything to keep my son safe, including changing the weather. You know? Yeah. And he didn't. So that was hard for me. And that built a wall. I won't even say a wall, a wedge. You know, the ice started to crack and then... I started to drift away mm-hmm. and that, that divide got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until I couldn't go to church. Like worship would make me angry, mm. like angry. I could listen to sermon all day cause I believe the word, but the anger I got in worship was just mad that I would not go into worship. I would just sit out in the hallway until it was done and then go sit down with my wife. And then eventually it was, I would sit up in the balcony and eventually it was I'd sit out in the hallway and just eat food the whole service. And then eventually it's like, I'm not going back. I can't go back. It makes me angry. Mm-hmm. Um, to eventually just saying that I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know was the way I, I, I talked to myself about it. And if he cared, how does he let that happen? That wedge then not only pushed me from God, but then it started to push me from my wife, my kids, uh, my friends, my job. Mm. And things just kept going downhill until eventually my wife looked at me and said, I'm not staying here. And uh, I went, oh, crap. Why? I know I didn't know. I had no clue. And she's like, you, you you're not the same person. I said, yeah, I know I'm not. She's like, no. <laughs> um, my temper was short. My anger was, was there. Uh, I'm not a yeller, but I am a fighter. Um, if you push me, I'm going to push back. So at some point she left, she did. She walked out and, uh, I couldn't, couldn't argue with her to stay, you know? So that pushed me into, 
getting help, maybe the start of getting help, I guess the way to put it. Uh, I found a counselor that I, that I liked. He was a retired police officer. He understood what I talked about. Uh, he understood my perspective and what I said and like, oh yeah, I get that, but you should do it this way, uh, which was great for the tornado. Loved it. Mm. Processed it. Um, if you, if you're having issues processing something, you need to check EMDR. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. It's the bomb. It is the best. Like I thought it was voodoo. And right. Like it's, it's weird, right? It's magic. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, it's great. I describe it as it took my, my tornado experience and it went from first person to third person. Yeah. And physically, my mm-hmm. dreams have done that hmm. um, from seeing through my eyes the exact things I saw that night. I could tell you eye color, their position, hair color. I can tell you the kid's name now because I know it hmm. to now I'm looking at it from a distance to even further to even further. Mm-hmm. And it literally did that to my dreams. Uh, so that was great. I processed it. I thought, good, I'm done. Um, no. Uh, some other things had taken place. Uh, so I started keeping a journal at the request of my, my counselor, which was good until someone read it and misread it. Mm. And two supervisors from my department show up at my door at three Oh five PM. Hey, we need to talk to you. Okay. Why? So you keep in a journal. Yeah. And then they unfold a piece of paper with what I had written on it. Um, Hey, you need to uh, go talk to somebody. Okay, let's go. No, uh, like you need to go talk to somebody. We're going to make you. Oh, so you're going to put me in Oklahoma. We have what's called emergency detention where somebody who's suicidal or in a mental health crisis, you can be forced to go get help. I'm like, no, I will go voluntarily. Now you can take me, but I will voluntarily admit. And I'm thankful. I teach CIT in Oklahoma, which is crisis intervention tactics, which I'm quite aware of Title 43A in Oklahoma, which is the mental health law. Right. By the way, marriage is 43. <laughs> yeah. Mental health is 43A. Exactly. That is right so, there. Um, thankfully, both of those supervisors were very understanding, very knowledgeable, uh, know me, and they're like, okay, let's go. Um, but as a cop, like, not that my gun is my life, my, my gun is my security blanket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, took all my guns took my patrol car, mm. uh, put me in a police car, front seat, thankfully. Mm. Um, and they, they take me, I start to leave. We stop. I get a letter from the chief saying, Hey, you're on administrative leave until further notice. Take me down to uh, a great place here in Oklahoma city, uh, which is Oakwood Springs, which has a hero's wing mm. for first responders. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. And only first responders are in there, military included. So that you're not with somebody you may have taken up there right. the night before. Right. Yeah. Uh, walk in, bring my journal with me. I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. Uh, sit down with the the counselor, the doctor, and uh, spend about three hours there talking to him. He's like, hey, you don't need to be here. I'm like, I'm aware of that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, call my boss, lieutenant, and say, hey, come get me. He's like, okay, I'll be there in a minute. Comes up, takes me, takes me home. And this is what sparks my wife to leave. Hmm. Uh, she's gone. Uh, before before I get home, which is probably a good thing uh, because I was not happy with anybody. So she uh, she ends up leaving. I end up kind of fixing things. Now I patched them up. I, I super glued them together. Mm. Uh, and it, it went on a cycle. Like I think that was four years ago. And that turned me off of counseling. 
because I felt like I was burned. Uh, not necessarily by my counselor, but journaling, which helped me deal with everything. It's where I dumped my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped like that because if it's going to burn me because right. somebody misread it and ne- nobody in this process, the person who found it, the supervisors who showed up uh, until I got to the counselor, nobody asked me what that statement read. Wow. Right. And uh, it's funny because I tell people the statement all the time. It said, uh, I'm not suicidal, but I'm okay being the first person through the door. Hmm. And what that meant was, hey, I've accepted where I'm at and I'm not suicidal, never was, but I'm okay meeting my maker. Like I'm prepared to do that as I think all Christians should be. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, nothing had changed with my view on God. Right. But I, I, I was prepared to stand up and say, I lived a good life. And if I'm wrong for questioning you, then absolutely let me know. And it's it just, oh man, it's so frustrating. It makes me mad to this day. I'm probably turn a little red that nobody, <laughs> nobody till I got to the doctor four and a half hours later. Worried about the context or whatever yeah. that the statement was. Made. Yes. They just took it how they read it right. and never asked me, uh, which is fine. I spent three weeks on administrative leave, sitting at home, twiddling my thumbs, uh, with very little contact from my department. All that's changed now. We have a new chief. He's amazing. Uh, but I got one phone call, uh, got in trouble with that phone call cause I cursed at the major, hmm. uh, which I shouldn't have done, but I did. I was mad. And then I didn't hear another thing until after I went and did my, uh, fit for duty evals, which ironically was done by my counselor because he does all our cities fit for evals. Hmm. So I walked in, he's like, why are you here? It's like, because you told me to journal. (laughs) (laughs) You caused my problem. And uh, he's like, yeah, are you still doing that? No. Handed him my journal. We talked. Um, I I took another, I don't know what the the one I took was, but an MMPI, which is ask you 400 questions. There's really like three questions in the entire test. It's like, do you love your mother? Are you in love with your mother? If you you wanted to be a history teacher or a, a English teacher, which would you be? Uh, took it, cleared me for duty. I was back to work. Uh, but again, I'd never repaired the gap. Mm. I stopped the drift. I think I stopped the drift, Yeah, but it, it never, it never came back. Uh, life went on till about, I don't know, a year ago. Uh, my wife finally came back. Uh, we worked on some things. Uh, I made some promises that I shouldn't have made. You know, as uh, mm-hmm. no, we'll get this fixed. We'll do this. We'll do that. Yeah. Uh, which never happened because now the one place I need to go is talk to a counselor. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that because the last time I did that, I ended up having to go for an eval and a fit for duty. Which I will say the, uh, um, with people that I talk to that are going through that, that is a common response when things, when they've reached out or they've done things that a counselor said and it didn't go well, then you become afraid to actually go to the places you need to go to yeah. get the help that you need because you're afraid it's going to turn bad again. So yeah. That's and, not odd. And I mean, absolutely. Life was good for a while. And then those same issues start turning up. Uh, I mean, I won't say I've always been a, a strong Christian, but I was raised in a Christian house. I mean, Catholic or not, we'll call it Christian. Yeah. Uh, I was raised in a Christian house. Um, my parents at 18 urged me to go find a church I was comfortable in. That's where I meet Johnny. Uh, and then to have that base taken away. So my foundation of where I went when I had problems 
was removed because I didn't trust it. Like, yeah. and that's the best way to say it. I didn't trust it. And so the same problems creeped up in my marriage and it wasn't safe and we were fighting all the time and we were angry. And I mean, I was angry. You were angry. I was angry. Um, not at her, not at my kids, right. but at me. Uh, I was, I mean, I'll say it. I was angry at God, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I didn't understand it. Uh, so eventually I got urged back into counseling very cautiously. <laughs> um, and this is just the last year. Uh, I found a great counselor uh, who's not a police officer, which is great because that's what I needed. Mm. Um, I processed all the tornado stuff. I did that. I didn't repair myself. I didn't repair my relationship with my wife. More importantly, my relationship with God. Um, this this gentleman, uh, Jesse Thompson here, here in Oklahoma City, uh, was suggested to me. Nobody told me anything about him other than, hey, you'll love him, right? Mm-hmm. He's got a therapy dog in his office. I'm like, yeah, I love dogs. <laughs> um, pandemic hit, so I never, I've never met the guy in person. We've done everything vis- or over Zoom or whatever, the the computer. And uh, no one told me he was a Christian counselor. Mm-hmm. I didn't know till the end of the first um, session. session where he yeah. goes, can I pray for you? I'm like, no, uh, don't you know I got problems with God right now. <laughs> um, so through a couple, couple sessions, like I, I decided I was going to stick it out that unless we didn't meet personally, like we had personal issues, I was going to stick this out cause I had to, to save my marriage. And, uh, we, we stuck it out and eventually he starts suggesting some books to me and, uh, I'm not a reader. Um, I'd like audiobooks are my favorite. So he finally suggests that, hey, you need to read uh what is it, Problem of Pain? Mm-hmm. I don't I always confuse it. Problem with pain, problem of Pro- pain. The problem of pain, C. Uh, C. S. Lewis. By C. S. Lewis. Yes. And I was like, man, I don't want to read that. He's like, read it. So I picked it up. I went that day. I left like the meeting, the Zoom meeting. I went to Barnes and Noble and Norman. They had one. I picked it up and I read the book in about seven hours mm, couldn't put it down probably. no it's a fantastic read. couldn't um, if you have not read it i would encourage everyone you can get it on amazon um uh, you you can even get the audio version but yeah but there's something about sitting there and reading that and processing it the problem of pain by c.s lewis it's a fantastic read so i went through and then uh, i read the book and then i went and bought the audiobook i listened to this book seven eight times mm. um at work i just put it on and you know it it started making me question myself of, okay, so Johnny knows I've always had the debate of, okay, so if there's free will, how is there predetermined destiny, right? Mm-hmm. I've always had that debate. Either God knows what's going to happen or he gave me free will. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe God gave me a plan. I can choose to follow his plan or not. And I was clearly choosing not to follow his plan as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that was part of his plan. I don't know. And that's fine if it is. That's even better. I'll be like, thank you, God. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad I was right. Um, <laughs> so he, that, that book explained a lot to me and it allowed me the answer to the question of why. Um, and in the book, in layman's term, I'm not a smart, smart person. And C.S. Lewis uses big, big words. So I Googled a lot of them. Um, basically, if we have free will, how does God grant everything we want? Mm-hmm. If he does that, is it free will? Well, no. Um, and then, okay, let's say we don't have free will and God grants us whatever we want. Well, what if Johnny wants the ball on the left side of the table and I want exactly. it on the right? Where does it go? Mm-hmm. So 
I am one who believes in free will. I absolutely believe that, that God gave us free will. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means bad things are going to happen. Exactly. I literally, everybody just, has the same free will. Yeah. This, the, the podcast I was on yesterday, this was the key point is yeah. I said, bad things happen because God loves us. Yeah. Um, it's bad thing is free will run amok. Right. As I think how he puts it. And when I got that, man, that answered so many questions in my life. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, oh, well, I'm an idiot. Um, yeah. But see, this is a big deal. Um, and uh, I want to have you back. Would yeah. You, would you do another one? Yeah. Um, but I think this is a real good place to land. Let's dig. Guys, hang with us for just a minute because I think this is really important. When bad things happen to us, the first person we blame usually is God. Yeah. And, and I think we do that because God's this invisible force and we have this idea that God is like this puppet master that is controlling everything that's going on in the world. And then when we experience something that doesn't make sense to us, then we immediately say, well, then God, why did you pull that string? Or God, why didn't you change the situation? Yeah. And I think a lot of times we forget that there's, there's somebody else in this world. Right. Um, that. Yeah, he's got free will too. I mean, yeah. Satan is not just sitting down watching us do what we do. He is pulling some strings. He's setting things there. He's trying to break you away from your faith. And the only way that happens is if we let him. So think about it this way. God gives every person listening, he gives you the free will to make decisions. Yeah. He doesn't give you the freedom to change the outcome of your decisions. Every decision has consequences, both good or bad. So you have the free will, but there are two distinct voices influencing your decisions. Your free will is determined is to determine which voice you're going to listen to. Some people listen to the dark side of their nature. They listen to, um, you know, the, the voice of hatred, the voice of anger, and they freely make the choice to follow that voice. And then they're going to deal with the outcome of those choices yeah. that they make. There are other people that choose to listen to the voice of love, of faith, of hope, and they make their decisions that way. So, and what's sad is honestly, every one of us in life, we go back and forth between the two. Yeah, well, we've absolutely. All, we've all listened to this voice and made decisions. And but when we make those decisions, or when things are done to us, which is a completely other thing that maybe we can get into the next next time. You know, how do we handle things when things are done to us that we didn't ask for? Which is really what I think your story ties into because you didn't ask for that tornado to hit that school you didn't ask to see the things that you've seen some things were done to you well and one of the the hardest things i have is there's plenty of officers there that day yeah now i don't know all of their stories um but i i'm the only one that i think it hit me the way it hit me i'm sure it's not i absolutely know it's not but i don't know any of their stories and so I look at it and like, why did it affect me like this? Mm-hmm. Why was it me that dealt with this? Why was it me that had the relationship problems? And that's another thing that just pushed me and pushed me further and further away. Um, I think now my faith is still growing, regrowing, let yeah. me say. Um, it is still hard for me to trust God. Uh, it is still hard for me to talk to God. I do it. Um, some days come easier than others. So it's just, man, it's just, it's so, I feel like I was when I was a kid again, uh, finding my faith, finding my feet. But now as a 42 year old man, um, 
I appreciate it more. Yeah, but now it's now it's real. I mean, because you you've had to answer a real big question for yourself. It, it's not just the pie in the sky growing up in the church thing yeah. that a lot of Christians go through. Um, but now it's 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 kind of like what Jeremy and I have experienced. You come to those question points in your life, and you really have to wrestle with the outcome of the answer, and then you make a decision. Well, absolutely. And now it's and, like, okay, this is for real. And I've had some great experiences. So, um, in our city recently, we've had a terrible accident over last summer, which, um, I got to, I, I say got to, but I was the first officer on scene. Um, this shift, the fire department, the EMS came together and, and we saved a lady's life. Um, so that, so I got to experience that, um, been to London twice in the last six years, uh, got to go on, uh, sky news hmm. and tell my story. Um, I've recently, because of that accident, got to go on Fox news, um, tell my story on that. So I've got to share my story with the hope that my story helps somebody go, Hey, I don't want that to happen to me, right. but I see that's the road I'm on. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully people take that and they, and if it helps one person, you know, we say that all the time in law form, if I can save one person's life, I I'm good with my career. And if I can affect one person, whether it brings them to Christ or not, I hope it does. But if I can have one person go, you know what? My mental health is struggling. I need to take care of that. Um, then I feel accomplished. And I think my story has has done what my trials taught me. I can pass on to somebody else and they don't have to take those trials. So do you think counseling is worth it? Oh, absolutely. EMDR. Okay, for those of you, I was going to end on this. Good job. Uh, for those of you that don't know what MDR means, it means eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. We only have a minute left. So uh, briefly explain what that is and how that helped you. Sure. So it activates both sides of the brain. Um, so you'll be talking to your counselor and they'll find something that bothers you. Um, you may not even know it bothers you, but then you'll talk about it. You'll do MDR. A lot of them use fingers. Have you look at the finger um, kind of like a field sobriety test is kind of what it looks like everybody's seen you know watch your finger with my eye um so you do that you process it and then you talk about it again and then you process it and then you talk about it again and through this process i don't know why i'm not smart um but it activates both sides of the brain actually allows you to process that um i found out that yeah the tornado was an issue but so were the dead baby i found seven years later or so was this event that happened and this event and it takes you down this chain that you never even knew and then you get done and you feel so light yeah it's like man i lost 15 pounds in that right. session it's like when i went to counseling the first time <clears throat> that was one of the things that as I, I discovered was everyone always like well you need to process that what the freak does that mean how do <laughs> yeah. i process it i put it in a blender i cook it on 400 degrees what do you do to process a thing is that what you pay for when you order something from amazon <laughs> right <laughs> exactly and i think that's the thing that i learned is like okay so processing isn't isn't just saying the words i'm processing this yeah. it's it's literally doing something to relive the moments go through them and then now you're outside the moments. What do we do? We have traumatic experiences. We never want to relive them. So yeah. we put them somewhere in our psyche to just live there. And as they build up, then they come out. They come out in anger. They come yeah. out in, in tears. I mean, I, I, you know, I cry at stupid things. I, and now I know that when I cry at something stupid, it's like, okay, this is touching something in me that I haven't processed. See, right? I'm not a crier. I'm, I'm just a straight up. I'll shut up and not talk to you for three days. <laughs> that's me. And that's when my wife knows something's wrong. She's yeah. like, Mm-mm, you better talk to me now or I'm 
taking you somewhere else. Right. So wow. But yeah, repro- that that's a, a, a mechanical process. It is. It is. It's, uh, it's, it's great. Awesome. And through the CIT that I teach now with the state, we have a state team. Like I understand it more and more because we talk about brain and how the brain's an organ. Right. Organs get sick and the brain can get sick. It can also be healed. Um, that's right. Takes time. Uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome is not a permanent right. diagnosis. You can be healed from it. Um Last thing I'll say before we take this and maybe we'll get into it next time is medication isn't evil. Right. Um, Brain chemistry is a real deal. It is. Um, it, me, I'll tell you right now, I am. I'm on medication now. Uh, it's only been six months. My wife tells me to go take my happy pill. Um, <laughs> but it, it is. It, it's taken that edge off of it. And like the doctor said, we'll reevaluate after six months. Maybe you come off. Maybe we try it for a year. Um, doesn't Hasn't affected my job one bit. Right. Right. Um, I'm still capable. I think I'm a better officer now, um, because I'm more level. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not as calm. Yeah. Right? I'm not as mad. I'm not as my, I don't spike as high when emotions get there. So it, it's good. And honestly, I think, well, Butrin is the savior of my marriage. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I think you are the savior of your marriage because you vow, you put your marriage high enough that you were willing to do whatever it took to save it. And I think if everybody would do that, as far as in their life and really take their health seriously, mentally, um, uh, they, they could find that they have the strength to make changes that they need to make, um, to keep their life going. And so, man, Alan, thanks for being with us. I want you to come back. We're going to do another session, um, soon. And, uh, maybe we can talk, you and Jeremy can just talk back and forth and share EMDR, oh, uh, <laughs> stories or whatever, and encourage people to, uh, go and, and, uh, do the same thing. But man, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I want you to know that God does have a purpose and a plan for your life. And the world deserves the best version of you that God has created you to be. Get healthy, healthy physically, mentally, and spiritually so that you can be that person for yourself, your family, and your community. Thanks again for joining us today on the Renewed You podcast. We'll see you next time. And remember, the world deserves a renewed you.